I just come out of teaching another class uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, which was um, uh, about uh, honest answers to honest questions, because uh, one of the things that I enjoy is to be able to speak with people maybe of differing faiths, uh, differing religions that don't all believe necessarily that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And uh, I like to talk with them about that, the very issue. And I had a class, and so uh, when Mark asked me to speak on the topic today, uh, it, was, it was good because I, I did put in some hours, but not nearly as many as I would have put in if it hadn't have been uh, so fresh on my mind. So it just all worked out really well. I'm also thankful to Mark for uh, producing your outline. And uh, did everyone get one, by the way? Is there anybody that we still need to get an outline to? Uh, this is what's going to be published. Oh, we still have one back here. If we have some more, that'd be great if we've got some more copies. Uh, this is what's going to be printed on the Internet. And uh, and to maintain some consistency, if we have a couple more, do we have any more uh, forms? Somebody maybe could help us out. Lady right back here uh, needs a copy. And um, um, uh, it sure helps out because it maintains some continuity. Because, you know, nobody can really take Mark's place. You know, you can fill in for him every once in a while, but you can't take his place. And so it's good to maintain some continuity with his notes uh, as you go through, as you're putting, uh, as you go through this study. But um, I do want to take the notes and kind of launch off of that because uh, I want to do a little bit of a background here that he did not include in his notes uh, and then... uh, cover the topic or the information that he has in the notes and then kind of move beyond that a a little bit as well. And uh, basically the question, when we met for lunch a few weeks ago and we were discussing about where we would go and who would be uh, filling in for them while they were out of town, uh, the question that really we're going to be looking at today is what's so special about Jesus? Uh, what, What makes him unique? What's so special? And what did Paul have to say about Jesus? What did he teach? You know, there's a lot of things going around on the Internet uh, now, a lot of discussions. Of course, it's not anything new, uh, but people are discussing, you know, who is Jesus? And a lot of people think that uh, there was a, a council a few, or, or you know, uh, uh, years ago where they basically decided on the Trinity, and they decided all these things, and it was just a matter of men coming together and deciding all these beliefs. But what people don't understand is that when those councils took place, they were just simply settling once and for all that which had already been taught. In fact, it had already been taught for years, for centuries. Uh, And they looked to the Scriptures and said, look, this is what Scripture says about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What's so special about Jesus? Well, Jesus was, and really that should be, is God. That's what makes Christianity, uh, what sets it apart from every other world religion. And that is that the one that we follow, that we give our lives to, that we swear our allegiance to, is not just a good man, a good teacher, someone with wise sayings, but he was God. He was God in the flesh, totally equal with God, and not created by God the Father. One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In every other world religion, you have a matter of where men and women, people, are trying to get to God through their good works. Christianity is different because it's where God came to man through grace and extended grace and mercy. So it is totally unique where a lot of people say, well, you know what, Um, in fact, I was reading, what was it? I was reading, uh, um, 
I was getting the oil changed in the car yesterday. I was reading through People magazine. Kenny Chesney. You got any country, um, country music fans in here? Okay. Well, pray for Kenny. Pray for Kenny Chesney. He's mixed up. He's got a song out Say everyone wants to go to heaven, I believe. I think I heard it for the first time the other day. And they asked him, said, do you believe in heaven? He said, oh, I, absolutely I believe in heaven. I believe there's probably many ways to get there, but yeah, I believe in heaven, and everyone wants to go there someday. Well, no, there's only one way there. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's too exclusive. You're, you're, you're too narrow-minded. I look at it as just the opposite. Mankind was helpless in our sin, and God made a way and came to earth, and I say he's literally bent over backwards to make a way for us to go to heaven. The problem is not with God. The problem is not that there's only one way. You know, it would be kind of a futile, silly debate to have with someone if they say, well, you know what? If you're in Houston, there's many ways to Dallas. I think I want to take I-10 West. Because I believe that I can get to Dallas on I-10 West. Well, you can just stay on I-10, eventually you're going to go... Exactly. I was going to say something, but I won't. But uh, you're, going to, you're just going to go. You will never, ever get to Dallas on I-10 West. You know what? You say, well, you know what? I was wrong. It's I-10 East. You're never going to get to Dallas on I-10 East. You won't even get to Dallas on 45 South. If you want to get to Dallas, now you can take a lot of country roads, which sometimes, you know, uh, we take some various paths along with our walk with Jesus Christ. But if you're going to get to Dallas, you've got a fairly narrow way to be able to get there safe and sound. You know, that's the way it is with heaven. There's only one way, and Jesus was so specific in saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So what's so special about Jesus? Well, he was God. Now, I want, this is where I want to give a little, because this is kind of a neat launching uh, pad, uh, those of you, of this being the biblical literacy uh, class, and you all have done, I mean, the kind of study and, and the kind of lectures that you listen to, I mean, you're more like in a seminary. Uh, you know, it's in the Bible, so, I mean, like a Sunday school class. Uh, you know what this means when a preacher takes off his watch and sets it right here? Absolutely nothing. Is that right? No, no not really. But I kind of want to get a little bearing here, okay? So, <clears throat> But um, anyways... Um, uh, we, 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 with your class, I know that you've been studying a lot with, about church history uh, in the past. And I know that you probably looked at or discussed the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. Now, what's so significant about the Council of Nicaea is that Constantine had pulled together all the bishops in the churches to come together because there was a, uh, a, uh, a problem that had ar uh, arisen from the church in Alexandria, which is down in Egypt, which I'm really thrilled about because next Sunday we're going to be going to Egypt, and I'm going to get a chance to visit the library in Alexandria, and so I'm pretty uh, excited about that. Um, it's, a, it's a neat opportunity, a project that we're going to be uh, uh, involved in. Pastor Ramon Medina is going to be going as well, so we're, there are about eight of us, and so we're really thrilled about that. But it's, it's interesting that we cover some of the topics today about this, and that is that there was a, a, a controversy that had arisen in the Church of Alexandria because there was a priest that, by the name of Arius that was teaching that Jesus was begotten by the Father, but he was not equal with the Father. So he was a creation of the Father. So he was similar to the Father, but not the same as the Father in substance. 
And then there were others, uh, Athanasius and uh, St. Alexander of Alexandria. Imagine having that kind of name, you know. My name is St. Beaumont from Beaumont, you know, or something like that. But anyways, St. Alexandria from Alexandria, uh, St. Alexander from Alexandria. And they were against uh, Arius. And they were saying, now, wait a minute, that's wrong what you're teaching. But some of the bishops had started following this teaching. And Arius was saying that Jesus was not exactly the same as God the Father. The two words that came up was homoousios or homoousios, two Greek words. One means, the first one, homoousios, means same substance. Homoousios means like substance. It's a big difference. Because what Arius was saying is, oh yeah, Jesus is special, uh, Jesus is divine, but he's not of the same substance as the Father. He's of a like substance. So he basically denied the Trinity. Now, did the Council of, uh, of Nicaea decide on the Trinity, or did they just simply establish it? For, this, for instance, this is where the Nicene Creed came out of. No, they looked at the writings of Paul and the apostles. They looked at the writings of the early church fathers, and they officially said, no, we need to settle this once and for all. And the vote came down. It wasn't that they voted on the Trinity. They voted, only, uh, only two voted with Arius. And uh, it was called the Arian Controversy. And, uh, but the, the vast majority said, no, we understand the Scriptures that teach, the early church fathers, the apostles, that Jesus Christ is the same substance as the Father. So the operative word was homoousios, the first one. Now why is that significant? Because... If it wasn't, then Paul was teaching in error. And we'll see that in just a few minutes. The text, the proof text, if you will, from the Council of Nicaea is the one that we look at today and the one that's in your study notes that, um, that uh, Mark has put together. The text was 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5-6. through 6. Now we're kind of concentrating on verse 6. But 1 Corinthians 5, or 8, 5-6. through 6. Even so... If there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, by whom are all things, which we ex or, and we exist through Him. Now, if you've read ahead in the lesson, I know that there's probably a, a lot of you uh, you know, that like to read ahead in the notes, and you probably, some of you have already finished it, and you've laid it aside, and maybe uh, enjoying your coffee now. But uh, if you've read ahead, you'll see that it gets pretty technical when he starts talking about the Greek. And he's talking about, but you know what? We're going to break it down. We're not going to make it nearly as complex, uh, but I, we want to kind of go there and look at some of the things. First of all, what was Paul referring to? What was he referencing when he wrote... 1 Corinthians 8, 5-6. What in the Old Testament? In your notes it says that's where you left it, I believe, last week. So what Old Testament verse or passage was he referencing? He was referencing the Shema, which is the imperative, here. And it's Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So, with what we read in the New Testament, what we read in the writings of Paul, we have to ask ourselves the question, did Paul know about Deuteronomy 
did he maybe miss it or wasn't aware of it? You know, when he was doing all of his memorizing and the teachings of Gamaliel and all, did he just somehow miss that? Because it emphatically says that there is one God. God is one. And we serve the one true God. But that's what he was referencing whenever he uh, cited 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Then Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, the other passages uh, included in your notes, then Moses said uh, to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And as you see in the notes, the I am was the word Yahweh. Said twice, Yahweh, Yahweh. It was the holy name for God. And no upstanding, devoted Jew would ever say the name. When they would repeat the Shema several times a day, they would substitute Adonai for Yahweh. In fact, when we, we write out Yahweh, we have to actually put the consonants, I mean the vowels, in there to even make it make sense because in, in early, early Hebrew, they didn't have the vowels. They had the dots and all, which would just were added later by the scribes so that you could pronounce some of the words because they made heavy use of consonants. So Yahweh, that's why it's all together, and, and you look at it and you say, well, how do you even pronounce that? But they didn't need to pronounce it because God's name was holy and for a man to speak it was degrading to God. So they substituted Adonai, which was Lord. And, and that's how we see that uh, delineation in our scriptures. Now, a faithful Jew substituted Adonai when saying the Shema. Here is a copy of, or a picture of the copy of the Septuagint. Again, you see in your notes that the Septuagint was the Greek... Old Testament, the Old Testament written in Greek. And what's interesting is that when you look in the Septuagint, you'd see in the Septuagint the LXX, which is the Roman numerals for 70, because it's called the Septuagint because of the 70 uh, scribes and the elders who, uh, who uh, actually copied it, wrote it out in Greek. Actually, we're 72, but they call it the 70, Septuagint, from the word 70. The Septuagint consistently translates Yahweh, Adonai, as Kyrios. You say, okay, now, and if you're looking ahead of the notes, you see we're, we're following a trail here. I know that in this day and time, they say you can't think linear. Well, we're thinking linear. Okay, we're going along a trail here, and one connects to the other because that's the only way that it makes sense. So since Kyrios is the Greek equivalent for Adonai. So now when we look at the Septuagint, Deuteronomy 6.4, and the Greek New Testament, 1 Corinthians 8.6, look at Septuagint. Kyrios, Hotheos, Hemon. Kyrios eis esten. The Lord our God, the Lord one is. Okay? So the Greek translators were consistent with what the Old Testament, how it translated Yahweh. And that's important. Because Paul then, hemen es theos kai eis kyrios isos Christos, our, for one, one God, the one Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. By the use of the word kyrios, he is saying that Jesus Christ is equivalent, or if you will, same substance as who? And, yeah, Yahweh. 
Okay, Yahweh, they wouldn't speak it, so it's translated Adonai, Hebrew. Adonai is, tra- is translated by Jews, not Christians, by Jews when they translate the Old Testament in, in, into Greek was translated Kyrios. Then when Paul now is talking about who Christ is, what is he saying? He's referring to him as Kyrios. That's significant. Again, I ask the question, did Paul just forget about or did not know about Deuteronomy 6.4? Because that's significant. Because when you consider what God said, is that me? No? It's not? Okay. When you consider what God said, God said in the very beginning that He was unique and there was no one like Him. Consider what He said in Exodus 20. And by the way, let me stop you for just a second. What, what, what do we want to accomplish today? A couple things. Number one, to cover the lesson and so that we have continuity in what you've been studying and so forth. Number two, to be able to look and see that Paul's uh, theology is consistent as you look at the theology of Paul and who he recognized Jesus Christ to be. And that's pretty significant when you consider the fact that he hated Jesus at one time before he was saved. He, didn't, he wasn't just uh, ambivalent towards Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated what he had done to Judaism. He hated what he had done uh, uh, to the people where they were now uh, going out from under the control of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He hated this new uh, upstart religion called the Way. He hated Christians. And he wanted to do everything within his power to stamp out Christianity. But then on the road to Damascus, his life was changed forever. And just like God had done with Moses, when everything seemed so unfortunate, yet God worked circumstances to where Moses would literally grow up in the house of Pharaoh and receive the finest education there was available so that later on he could bring him back and use this extremely, for the time, extremely well-educated servant of his whose life had been changed and molded in the wilderness for a generation, basically, to come back and lead his people to freedom. What did he do with with, uh, Paul? Well, when he was Saul, he received one of the finest educations under one of the most recognized teachers of the day, Gamaliel. And where he was putting all of his energy to stamp out what he misunderstood, his life was radically changed, and then he became, he ended up becoming the greatest missionary the world has ever known, the church has ever known, and wrote over half of the New Testament. Now go figure. When you, when you defend your faith, which is the third thing that I want to hopefully accomplish here, is that we would feel, every one of us in this place, including me as I go through this again, that we would all feel better and more equipped to defend our faith, if you will. If you will, apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you, but with gentleness and reverence. That's our goal. And so we want to look at, okay, is this, does this belief uh, 
Does it matter? Oh, it matters. I want to say that a, couple, a few weeks ago, a gentleman actually in our church met with him last week, talking with him. Long-time member of the church, but had made mention the fact that he didn't necessarily believe or didn't understand Jesus to be equal with God. Now, that kind of blew my mind. Because, you see, we make all kinds of assumptions. We assume that if you're a member of a Baptist church, you're going to have all your beliefs correct. Because, I mean, Baptists have it right. You know that, right? Of course. Those other poor religions. Um, I'm sorry, denominations. Um, yeah, you just, we assume a lot. See, I, I was caught off guard. Normally I say I don't assume anything, but I was kind of caught off guard with that. And I was like, wow. But you know what? In my subsequent conversation with this man, his heart is pure. And he said, I just want to know the truth. And he's trying to look at it. And we sat down we talked about these very things. His question was, where does it say that Jesus is God? Where does it say that he was actually equal with the Father? And that's what we want to look at today. Because he, here's what I want you to understand. And this was a, a quote from uh, Lee Strobel, which I like it a lot. See, sometimes we can feel like this kind of stuff is best left to the experts. We meet someone we say, ooh, wow, that's a little over my head. I need to get them to a preacher. Well, I can tell you a few preachers that we'd look at them like a calf looking at a new gate too. I don't even know what you're talking about. Because we got our little thing. We got our little niche. But you know what? You don't have... Listen to this. You don't have to know everything to know something. You don't have to know everything to know something. What we are looking at here, and we're going to go through here in just a few minutes, the few minutes that we have... Oh, forgot my wife. Oh, well, i got plenty of time. Okay. Um, but as we, we go through here is all of this... While we're going linear here, one thing connected to the next, every single person in this room could be equipped to be able to speak with your neighbor, your friend, a family member. Yes, even a couple of those young guys in white shirts and now bicycle helmets and ties that will come knocking on your door. Or uh, others from another kingdom hall somewhere. Just stay with the Scriptures. They speak for themselves. The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Allow the Scriptures to do the work for you because they're energized. The, the, the Word of God is, is alive, not like any other um, religious book. Okay? So let's follow the, the line of thinking here. Okay? So let's go back to the beginning. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so what does he say from the very beginning? You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness 
of what is in heaven above on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. So in the very beginning, what does God tell Moses to tell the people? Have no other gods before me. Now, is he saying, just don't have any gods equal with me? You can have some little gods, but don't have any gods that you hold up and certainly don't have any gods that you hold above me. Is that what he's saying? I mean, somebody could twist the words and make you say that. The only problem is, he says, but you will have no other idols as well. He says, I don't want you to worship anything besides me because I'm God and there is no one like me. I'm unique. I'm the creator of the world. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. I'm everywhere at one time. There is no other like me. I love what Louis Giglio uh, said years, uh, uh, a few years ago in one of his uh, messages. He was going around and, and, and saying, you know, sometimes we look at this and say, well, why is God? He's got like a huge ego problem. He's always telling us to worship Him. He's always saying He's great. And He's like, well, when you're God, you can say that. You know, we're not God. So we're always going to fall in some way. So for any one of us to be able to say, hey, well, you know what, you just worship me, would be leading people astray. But when you are God and you are holy, the most loving thing and most compassionate thing that you could do for mankind is to say, give your love to me because it doesn't get any better than this. And So God is very clear, you'll have no other gods before me. None under me, none beside me, none over me. I'm it. I am totally sufficient. No other God can do anything for you because I can do it all. Deuteronomy 32.9. Now we're back in the same book as where the Shema is found. You think maybe Paul forgot about this one. See now that I am He and there is no God beside me. There is no God beside me. There's not, he's not saying there's no God that's equal with me. He's not saying there's no other God like me. He said there is no other God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have. And by the way, remember that. Make a little note. It is I who put to death and give life. Okay, we'll come back to that a little bit later on. It is uh, I have wounded and it is I who heal and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Look at Isaiah 43.10. And understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Does anyone get that there? You see? What was, prob what was the problem with Arius and his theology? He said, oh, Jesus is begotten by the Father. So yeah, He's a God. What's the problem with the theology of some of our friends in a different uh, religion who say, yeah, oh, Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus is God, but He is a God. Well, if you say that, then you're contradicting Isaiah 43.10 where He says, and understand that I am He. Before Me there was no God formed, and there will be none after Me. Now maybe God forgot. That's a possibility. Maybe God was on a good track and then all of a sudden He's changed His mind. He decided, yeah, you know what? To create a little God would be a pretty good idea. And then I can send Him to earth, be a little baby, we can have a nice little holiday for the people and it'd be great and then I'll let Him grow up and then I'll crucify Him and He'll die and I'll put Him in a tomb and He'll raise after three days and all oh, the people will just worship. Maybe that would be a good little plan. Did God change His mind? No. God didn't change His mind. What about Job 38, 4-6? Now this is when uh, God is kind of laying it out, telling how the cow eats the cabbage to Job. 
Now, Job never turned his back on God, but he sure asked some questions. And here's towards the end of the, of the book, and look what God says. Uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? How'd you like to have God say that to you? I mean, do you just feel like you're being taken out to the woodshed and you're about to get serious beaten right now? You know, oh, hey, Scott, you mind me if I ask you, where were you when I created the world? Hmm. You got all your big little problems, you know, you got all your little complaints, you got all your little things that are making you mad. Where were you when I created the world? Tell me if you have understanding. Oh boy, how'd you like that? Right when we think we're so smart, God just kind of comes along and says, Go ahead, you go ahead and tell me. I'm listening. I'm all ears. Go ahead and tell me. Who said it's measurements since you know? Oh, that, it's even worse. It's getting worse. Oh, Mr. Know It All. Why don't you tell me about it? Who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk and who has laid its cornerstone? Where were you? when I put the foundation in place and spoke into existence everything you see. Where were you? Now here's the similarities between Jesus and God. And we'll start with one of Paul's letters. Colossians 1, 16-17 For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Uh-oh, Paul, listen, you're, going, you're getting in deep weeds right now because you see, there's these books in the Old Testament starting in Exodus and then also in Deuteronomy and also in Isaiah, uh, where it says that he's the only one and he's the one that created. In fact, there's this little discussion that he had with Job when he said, where were you when I created all, all the foundations in the world? And in the beginning, if you remember, Paul, all the way back in the, in the books of Moses, in the very first one it says that in the beginning what God created, the heavens and the earth. So Paul, don't go there, but Paul went there. Why? Because he understood that Kyrios, for Adonai, for Yahweh, that Jesus was of the same substance, homoousios, even before, centuries before, a council was going to come along and recognized what has already been taught. Paul knew what he's doing. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, said that Jesus is equal with God. Now, here's what's important. What we don't get the two confused. When he was on earth, he submitted to the Father. But we, I keep looking at my wrist like I've got something on it. Okay. Um, while he was on earth, he submitted to the Father. He was under his authority. But it never changed his substance in being totally equal with God. And being one of the three persons of the Godhead. Never, that never changed. What was unique was that he took on humanity and then he modeled for us how to relate to the Father. But his equal with God never, never changed. Every analogy breaks down, and even every analogy that you have maybe for um, uh, you know, the Trinity, well, the Trinity, how do you explain the Trinity? You can't explain the Trinity. You accept it by faith. Scripture teaches it, but we can't possibly understand it. We continue to teach it as truth, but we can't understand it. Is the Trinity like, okay, water is, is solid, liquid, and gas? You know, as steam, it's a gas. As liquid, uh, it's just the regular water. And then as a solid, it's ice. Yeah, but the only problem is it can't be all three forms at the same time. It's got to be one or the other. 
you know, so, uh, oh, it's like an egg. You got the yolk, you got the white, and you got the shell. Yeah, but the shell is separate, the white is separate, and the yolk is separate. Three separate things. And the two... So every analogy breaks down. But if we're talking about an analogy of substance, maybe as far as what Jesus submitted to the Father, we're, when we're in this realm of Champion Force Baptist Church, and, and as far as my job and what I do here at Champion Force Baptist Church, I am submitted to Dr. Fleming. He's my authority. But that does not mean that I'm inferior to Dr. Fleming. Because when I operate in the world the rest of my life, in how I discipline my children or what I do with my finances and so forth, he is not my authority. But in the realm here, he is my authority. And so I submit to him. When Jesus was on earth, he submitted to the Father, but it never did remove. Now again, that analogy breaks down in the fact that I'm a separate person from Dr. Fleming. But I'm trying to illustrate the issue of authority. And in the realm here on earth, he was under the authority of the Father. Because Paul says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Philippians 2, 5-11 through have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard what? Equality with God. Homoousios. Equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now, does that mean that his name is above Yahweh? What does it say? That his name is above every name. So did God... Is he schizophrenic? Did he forget? Did he change his mind? What did he do? Or, if there is perfect unity within the Godhead, there is no discrepancy whatsoever. There was the work of God, and this is how he chose to work. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, God said, you'll have no other gods before me, but now he's saying that knees will bow before Jesus, which would be in reverence and worship of him. Wow, Jesus must be pretty special if God is going to give up His worship to one of His creations. No. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and receives the worship from us. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God of God the Father. John 11. Now we move into some uh, uh, non-Pauline... Uh, material in the New Testament. And when he had said these things, John 11, verses 43 through 44, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So now when we look at the similarities between Jesus and God, what did we see in Colossians? That he was what? Creator. Now we look here and he says that uh, he, he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now what do we see that Jesus is doing? What did he do? 
He raised someone from the dead. Remember the scripture earlier where he said that I am the one who kills and I am the one who gives life? Okay, well, what is Jesus doing here? He's doing what only God can do, right? Matthew 9, verses 2 through 3, And behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, and said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son, your sins are what? forgiven. That's what caused Jesus a lot of problems with the Pharisees. They knew what he was saying. Who is this man that thinks he can forgive sins? Because only God can forgive sins. And I bet Jesus, when he overheard, he said, that's right. Because I'm him. I'm God. Not just one in purpose, but one in substance. Revelation 1, 7 through 8, again referring to Jesus. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of earth will mourn over Him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, Jesus said. Now what did God say in Isaiah? There's not been a God, what? Before me, and there will not be one after me. But here, Scripture clearly says that He is the beginning and the end. If you're the beginning, then there ain't no one there before you. You're it. You're the beginning. You're the author of creation. You're the Creator Himself. John 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is a very uh, well-known passage, and we're wrapping it up here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this is very important because a lot of the other religions that do not believe in the Trinity and do not accept uh, the divinity of Jesus Christ or believe that He was a created being, they mistranslate this because of the lack of a definite article. A definite article, the. In other words, He wasn't the God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they say because it doesn't say, it does not have a definite article in the Greek, then it's it could be a God. The problem is when they come down later on in verse... Um, hold on just a second. I'm going to turn to my Bible here. 14? Yeah, 14, where it says that there came a man, uh, John, and he came from God. Well, that doesn't have the definite article either, but they translate it accurately there. So see, they translate it to make it say what they want to say. I believe that. I want, I want to make sure that I've got that straight. Uh, in John chapter 1, real quickly here. John chapter 1. I think it is. Uh, okay, and then, oh, well, of course, you know, I don't know what they do with verse 3. And all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then you come down to... Uh, um, uh, let's see, where is it? Did I go too far? Oh, yeah. Okay, verse 6. And there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came uh, uh, for a witness that he might bear witness of the light. Well, in verse 6 where it says, There came a man sent from God. Well, it doesn't have the definite article there either. But it's speaking only of one God. So they want to mistranslate in verse 1, but they don't want to be consistent, or they, then they translate it the other way to meet their purposes in verse 6. The bottom line is, the Greek, in the Greek it says just what it says right here. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. So even if you don't want to say He was sent from God, well, the problem is if He was in the beginning and God said there was no one before Him, there's no one after Him, then even that's inconsistent to say that He was a God because when did God change His mind? John 10, 27-30, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of My hand. My Father, who has given them to Me, is greater than all. Okay, you say, oh, well, wait a minute, do we have a problem here? And no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Once again, same substance, not just purpose, same substance. Because look what it says earlier in the verse. Remember what I, Isaiah said, that uh, God, uh, God said, I'm the one who gives life, I'm the one who kills. Look what it says. Jesus says, I give eternal life to them. John 20, verses 28 through 29. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who, have not, who did not see and yet believe. Now, if Jesus wasn't God and he was less than God and he understood what God had said, that there's no God besides him, you'll have no other gods before him, you'll have no idols, there's no God before me, there's no God after me. If Jesus knew about that, then why on earth when Thomas said, My Lord, my God, did did Jesus not say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 don't do that. Worship is reserved for my Father only. But He said, blessed are you because you've seen and you believe. He affirmed what Thomas said. And then finally, to end with another passage from Paul's writings. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we close, it's not because of a lack of biblical evidence that points us to the fact that Jesus is God. Simply because we can't wrap our minds around it does not make it true, uh, untrue. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand gravity but I believe in it. I, don't, I can't see air, but I'm glad it's there. There's a lot of things I don't understand, but that doesn't make it not true. You know, in many ways, God has given us a glimpse into His character, into His person, into His personality, into who He is, but we'll never fully understand it until we see Him face to face when our minds have been renewed and we are new creatures uh, or we are in our, 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 we have our new minds uh, in Christ. When we see Him face to face, we are in our new bodies. We no longer contend with the flesh. We'll not fully understand it until that day. But He's given us a glimpse. For us to be able to doubt God because it doesn't make sense, well, the evidence, in my opinion, is overwhelming that though we don't understand it, the Apostle Paul and the other biblical writers have said, look, Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus wasn't just uh, a good teacher. He was God in the flesh, and He is alive today. So what about the points for home? Well, you see those on your outline and your points for home. What's significant about this? And you can read those for yourself, and I won't go through each one of these, but I really want to pull your attention to number two, where it says there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. There's only one God, Mark writes here, There's only one God, but He is both the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two distinctions in person, although united in substance, as the one God. Jesus is fully God. 
He was never simply a good man. He was not some human who came under God's special spell. He is and always has been God. When we seek to be like Jesus, we seek to be like God. When we hold up the banner of Christ to a lost world, we hold up the banner of God. Too many people read their Scripture blind in the context in which it was written, blind in the life settings and situations into which Paul wrote. But as we study and focus, we see the beauty of God's divine plan unfold with God at every turn. So the bottom line, number three, now if Jesus truly is God, then what are the things in your life that you worship? Because you know what? The commands still stand of God. You'll have no idols. You'll have no other gods before me. To worship Jesus is not inconsistent. It's consistent with God's plan. So we all have to ask ourselves the question, what do I worship in my life? Am I passionately in love and sold out to God through Jesus Christ? After all, in the Shema, He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. And whenever they came and they asked uh, the Lord Jesus, what's the, two greatest, what's the greatest commandment? He said what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Anything else is idol worship. Thanks for letting me be with you today, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just drive home these truths in our lives. I pray that you will equip everybody in this place to be equipped to speak to people who do not believe this. Maybe well-intended people who are deceived or confused. Lord, I pray that we would immerse ourselves in your word and in this truth so that we can be ambassadors for You, equipped for the good work of the kingdom. But Lord, for us individually, I pray that we would not have idols and that we would not have any other gods before You, Lord. Fill us. Captivate us. Live through us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.